Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, ANSI IC 121-2018, Dropped Objects Protection Standard, a review, sponsored by TIEFLOAT. My name is Kevin Drulli. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and I will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To click a question, I'm sorry, to ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for submit question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speaker. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash event. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today will be Virginia Battles, Global Vice President of Sales at TyFloat. Virginia started with the company as a consultant three and a half years ago and has worked in various sectors of marketing and sales for more than 30 years. He was heavily involved in the drafting of ANSI IC 121-2018 remains an active member of IC. Again, we thank all of you for tuning in to this presentation. Virginia, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Okay, thank you, Kevin. Um, I'd like to thank you all for joining us today. Uh, I want to let you know I'm joining you from a hotel conference room in Spain. And so if there is any internet or cell uh, interruption, I do have my colleague Matt Moreau standing by to take over the webinar so you guys won't be affected, um, or you all. And uh, our goal here today is to give you a better understanding of the anti-ISCA 121. Uh, we're hoping that you'll come away from it understanding what it covers and what it's going to mean to you. And so with that, we're going to start with a poll question. Uh, question being, which of the following statements apply to you? Select all that apply. We're going to give you 30 seconds or so to answer that and then go over the poll results. So if you want to go ahead and, and select an answer, that would be great. There's about 10 more seconds for you guys to select an answer, so please feel free to. You all, I mean. Okay, so uh, it looks as though pretty much everybody out there has in some way uh, been affected by a dropped object other than maybe 16% of you. Uh, and that's kind of what we expect. Uh, there's a reason why this standard was developed. Uh, it, it is a problem out there in the work environment. Uh, so before we actually get into the standards, we're going to run over uh, some of the statistics around that, um, why it is uh, that a standard was necessary. Uh, obviously, we all know that there's a human safety factor 
involved in an object falling. Uh, what often doesn't get talked about is that uh, companies also experience millions of dollars of loss in equipment damage and lost productivity, which is also a factor to be considered when looking at a dropped objects program. Uh, but as far as the statistics, um, as of 2016, being struck by an object was the second leading cause of death in construction. <clears throat> in the overall workplace, it is the third leading cause of fatalities, representing 15% of those fatalities. Uh, on the side of injuries, uh, one of the best sources we can have is those that ensure those injuries. Liberty Mutual is a large workers' comp uh, insurer, and they, they do studies of this periodically to see where uh, most of their claims are coming from. And in their study, they came up with 9.1% of all claims are coming from being struck by an object. And in 2015, they say that they spent $5.3 billion uh, paying out workers' comp claims that were due to being struck by an object. So fairly substantial. And some other statistics to review. Uh, there were 255 deaths in 2016. It is the uh, third leading cause of injury in 2016. And there were some 48,000, just approximately, a little under, uh, 48,000 recordables in 2016. And as you know, recordables uh, do change a company's insurance rate, so uh, it changes your safety record. So that's an important number. So even though someone um, may not have been killed, they were certainly injured, and it, is, it does have an effect on the company, regardless of how small the injury. That doesn't even include the uh, many millions of dollars, as I said, that are uh, spent in replacing equipment and making up for lost productivity. Uh, that we don't have a good way of tracking. So what are we doing about this problem? Uh, today, we, what we do is we have some PPE measures in place. We wear hard hats and we wear steel-toed boots. And we hope that if a dropped object does come down, that the hard hat is going to be sufficient or that the steel toe boot is going to be sufficient to prevent the, uh, the object from causing us injury. And uh, depending on the impact force, it may or may not. We also have passive measures in place. So when we're talking passive measures, we're talking netting and tow boards. Uh, those are helpful, uh, but once again, you have to hope that the tool, the tool or object that is dropped is going to fall and be prevented by one of those two things. Uh, we also have containment measures. We have buckets that we keep up there and, and other uh, ways of containing items to keep them from falling below. Uh, but you'll notice one common thread through all of these, and that is that they address a dropped object after it's already dropped, and they're trying to prevent the injury. Uh, and much more effective way of ensuring safety from uh, tool drop prevention or from tool drops is to prevent the tool from dropping in the first place. And that's where tethering comes in. So OSHA does try to address dropped objects to some degree. They discuss it in general industry, in the general industry section under their work, uh, walking working surfaces 1910-23. They talk about it under the general duty clause. They actually fine, on, uh, fine for tool drops um, 
and other dropped objects under the general duty clause. They talk about it in the construction standard 1926 uh, under several areas. But one thing that is uh, true in all of those areas is that they don't give a lot of specifics. They don't talk about what is the safety, safest method to prevent it. They don't have a recommendation under there as to how you should tether a tool or keep something from dropping above necessarily, other than those passive measures we already discussed. And um, when they do talk about it, uh, trying to prevent a tool drop from happening or something or something from falling from above, they usually talk about looking at best practices and the standard industry practices of your peers. Uh, they don't talk about specifics. They don't tell you uh, what kind of a tether to use. Uh, it doesn't have a real focus on how you're going to, what are the safest methods and how are you going to prevent it. And one of the reasons for that is there's no good, there hasn't been a good standard to point to to say, well, you know, there, this has been tested as a safe way to tether a tool. And you had a similar issue long ago when fall protection was the issue. And there had to be a standard for that so that people didn't choose any method they wanted to keep themselves from falling. So the ANSI 121, that basically offers this consistent method of making sure that whatever tethering method you're using, if it is an ANSI 121, it has been through all the same design and testing and performance criteria that an ANSI 121 uh, requirement of the ANSI 121 requirement. And that includes standard testing uh, equipment, fixtures, rigs, uh, the environmental testing, what temperatures you're going to test to, whether they're wet or dry, what sample requirements you have, the number of times you're going to uh, test it, whether it would be a dynamic test or a static test, meaning is it dynamically dropped as if it was to be dropped in the field, or is it just uh, statically hung, the weight statically hung to test uh, its, its ability to hold weight. Um, and test factors and safety buffer buffers are included in the, in the standard to talk to you about um, how you should be testing it and to what weights for each weight rating. There are four categories for the standard, um, the first one being the anchor attachments. And so first we need to understand what an anchor attachment is. Uh, if you see in the slide, there is a belt, a uh, tool belt with a, an orange strap with a D-ring on it. That's that D-ring is an anchor attachment. The body is what it's tied to, but the attachment is actually the D-ring. Same thing if you have a wrist cuff on and there's a D-ring that you would attach a tether to, the D-ring the on the cuff is the anchor attachment. And some criteria for testing these, um, there's three that we're gonna talk about, one being the one-to-one -one test factor. Um, what is a test factor? Well, that's basically the weight with which you're gonna to use to test the anchor attachment. So if you have it weight rated for three pounds, you're gonna use a three pound weight, that's a one to one ratio, to, to use uh, when you're doing your testing. You're also gonna test it uh, dynamically, which means you're basically going to drop it as if you were dropping it uh, on a job site in the same manner. Um, and you're gonna do it two times the distance that that anchor attachment point is weight rated for with the tether length it's weight rated at. 
So for instance, that anchor attachment that you see on the screen, it might be uh, rated for a three pound tool with a one foot tether. So you will be dropping that three foot weight uh, two feet. So it'd be twice the distance. The next category is your tool attachment. So obviously what's a tool attachment? It's a attachment that you put on the tool to create a uh, place to connect your tether to. And similar uh, test requirements and, and criteria are involved here. You once again have a one-to-one -one test factor. So if the anchor, uh, the tool attachment point is weight rated for five pounds, you're gonna put a five pound weight on your test apparatus. You're going to test it uh, dynamically, just as in the other test, as I already explained. And you're gonna be dropping it two times the distance once again. So if it's weight rated for five pounds on a two foot tether, you're gonna drop a five pound weight, four feet. Uh, but what's important to understand is that all your manufacturers are going to be dropping this from a steel cable. So you're not going to get to decide that you want to drop it from a web uh, tether and someone else drops it from a, a bungee tether and someone else drops it from a coil tether. We're all using consistent materials to, to test these objects. And uh, one of the reasons we chose the steel cable is there's not a lot of give in a steel cable, uh, whereas a bungee and a web uh, tether, they have different degrees of absorption of the impact force. So we want to keep it consistent and steel, steel cables are fairly consistent. The next category, excuse me, tool tethers, uh, gets a little bit more complicated. Uh, I'm going to dro drop right down to the lower right hand corner. And one of the key things that I um, want to point out to you is out there now, you'll see a lot of tethers that have loose carabiners on them that you could just slip off if you wanted to. And that's potentially a drop hazard. So part of the ANSI standard is that all uh, carabiners on the end of a tether should be uh, captured. So if you see in the picture, that, that tether goes through a, uh, eye in the, an enclosed eye in the carabiner, so you can't take it off. Um, that's to prevent it from becoming a drop hazard. Also, there has to be two locking features on the carabiner. So in this particular picture, you see it screws and it also has to be pushed in. So that's two factors that keep it locked. Uh, it can be push it in and, or pull it down and push it in. That's two factors, but it has to have at least two locking features. It's a two to one factor um, in the tethering. So once again, if this is a five pound tether, you're going to put a 10 pound weight on it. It's going to be tested dynamically again. It's going to be dropped as if it was dropped in the field. Um, and it's going to be dropped two times the dropping distance that you weight rate it for. So if it's weight rated for five pounds on a five, uh, two foot tether, it's going to be dropped four feet with a 10 pound weight. Now containers gets a little bit more complicated. It's the last category. Um, the first one uh, is a uh, one of three choices. So when you're creating a container that you want to be ANSI 121, it has to be able to secure the items inside the container. So you can do that by one of three methods. You can have a closure system, such as a zipper or Velcro or a cinch, that will close the, uh, the products that are inside it, the items that are inside it, and keep them contained. Or you can have a tethering system. So uh, there are bags out there that have tethers with uh, with carabiners on them and you can work from the bag with the tether on it. 
that would be uh, a sufficient system. And there's also, you'll see buckets out there that have anchor points inside of them, and you can use that as a way to secure the things that are inside the, uh, inside the bucket. But it does have to have one of these features to keep things from coming out of the container. Uh, there are varying test factors involved with the containers. Uh, environmental test factors is one. So, you know, is it hot? Is it going to be, uh, it's going to be tested in a hot environment, a cold environment, a wet environment, a dry environment. Um, you have both testing uh, dynamically and statically. So when you're testing on a static test for a container, you're doing a five-to-one static test. Whereas with a dynamic test, you're doing a two-to-one uh, dy uh, dynamic test. So static means you're just hanging the weight. Dynamic, you've dropped the weight. With the inside the container um, and that's for the first one after the first drop it it goes to a one-to-one -one ratio and they drop it three times now if you have chosen the closure system for your container you have to test that system dynamically in an inverted position so upside down so that we can verify that that closure system is going to be able to hold the weight There's also a consideration for the labeling in the ANSI standards. So um, how are you going to label these so that a, a user is easily going to know uh, all that they need to know about it being ANSI rated? So one of the things you have to do is you have to have a permanently affixed and legible tag on it. You also have to be able to, to note on that tag what the maximum weights for all solutions are. You also want to note what your maximum length for the anchor or attachment is. So if there's a tether length, uh, you're saying that this is a uh, good attachment for up to a five-foot tether, that should be noted on the, on the tag itself. It also has to be identified as an anti-ISCA-121 certified or compliant product, that you've actually done the testing that's required within the ANSI document. Um, you have to talk about what tether lengths for the uh, tethers, uh, the tethers are. So, one of the things that we do with this is if you have a coil tether, it, it may look like a one-foot tether, but it's coiled. So we will extend the coil completely, uh, determine what the length of that coil is, and that will be on the tether, on, on the tag. Um, your product number has to be on the tag, as well as the manufacturer's ID, and a date co code or a serial number. Um, obvious reasons for this, we want to know if something does occur, you want to have that information so you can see whether the, the user was using it incorrectly or if there was some sort of an issue. So you want to be able to identify as much as possible on the tag. Now, the instructions are also, um, there's some, some guidelines on the instructions uh, within the ANSI 121. Uh, within the instructions, we are supposed to be putting warnings of misuse. So what's a warning of misuse? It might be um, don't utilize this on rotating equipment. Uh, for limitations on use, it might say uh, this coil lanyard is six feet long, so it should be utilized above six feet uh, because someone below, if it was to extend to its full length, may be injured. Uh, and inspection details. Uh, how should you inspect this? Well, you know, on a bungee cutter, you might say, Verify that all of the webbing is intact and hasn't been sliced or have any serious wear, uh, that the stitching is not worn or giving way in any place. 
those are all inspection details you might mention in your uh, in your instructions. One of the more common questions that we get asked all the time is, will this standard become a regulation? So, now as I've been stressing, this is a standard for manufacturers. Uh, it is a uh, manufacturing and testing criteria that is used to verify that this is a safe item for you to use in the field and that it's going to stand up to what we say it will, it, it'll hold up to for weight ratings and um, the conditions. It's not a regulation. Uh, how does that relate? Well, you know, if you have seen the regulations on fall protection, you know that they refer back to ANSI standard, an ANSI standard. And the reason for that is, if you didn't have an ANSI standard to point back to, someone may say, I tied a rope around my waist and to, the, to a structure, and that's sufficient to keep me from being injured if I fall from height. And obviously, we all know that that's probably not sufficient, and that a safe item has to be utilized when you're at height to keep a person safe. So, ANSI standards are often referenced in a regulation for that reason, because um, when a regulation, regulator wants to ensure you're doing something safely, they want to ensure that you're also using safe products to ensure safety. Um, but as far as this becoming a regulation, um, I can't really tell you that, but I can tell you what I do know. And what I do know is that OSHA was very, um, interested in this standard as we were processing, going through the process of writing it. They sat in on some meetings. Uh, they were quick, they had a, quite a few comments on the industry view. Um, we know that they are watching recordables and injuries very closely and that they are keeping track of deaths and uh, injuries. We know that they are fining for injury. Uh, so, this is obviously on their radar. Um, we also know that insurers um, are interested in this subject. So we have to look to how does the regulation uh, come about? And it's highly politicized. Um, and it has to be voted on. Uh, but OSHA will generally put it forth, and then, um, or a regulatory body will put it forth. And then those that are interested in this moving forward or, or being not moved forward, they get involved. And so an insurance lobbyist might get involved, and our best guess would be that they're going to want to move it forward because it's costing them money. So if you're asking us for our best educated guess, yes, all the indicators are there that this is moving forward to a regulation. When? I, I really couldn't help you with that question. I don't know. I can talk to you a bit about what this means for you as an operating company, um, because as an operating company, you obviously have uh, a lot of, there's a lot of interest in your safety record. Uh, you know that a poor safety record will affect your insurance premium. You know that it may affect whether or not you get a bid. Um, you uh, also will have an effect, it'll also have an effect on the morale of your company. Uh, the, the workers want to know that you care about whether they're safe or not. Uh, as far as subcontractors working at height, what does it mean to you? Well, you know, there's a lot more companies moving towards uh, dropped object prevention procedures. Uh, 
and requirements. So if you're going to go work for a general contractor or on a job site, you're going to potentially be asked to comply to a procedure. And so getting uh, familiar or getting in line sooner rather than later, it's always helpful. It's going to help you gain the, the, the respect as a safe subcontractor. As far as the uh, contract worker, what does it mean to you? Well, obviously it means that you're going to be safer on the job site. Uh, no more look out below, uh, hopefully. Um, and uh, it's also going to help you uh, secure work because obviously there are a lot more companies, as you all know, that are moving towards dropped object prevention procedures. So they want people that are already in line with that thinking. Uh, we are recognizing that contract workers are not always thrilled about having to tether their tools. They find it inconvenient. But what, they, uh, what we're hearing in the field is that they also are finding that it, is, um, it does make them feel more secure on the job site and that uh, it does save them lost productivity because they're not dropping things and having to go down and get them again and retrieve them. So there's an upside. Um, as far as the manufacturers, I know at least from my company's perspective, making this as convenient as possible for the contract worker is always a consideration for us. So next, we would want to probably consider how are you going to get started with this? So what can you do? Um, it's really pretty easy. You can start thinking about where you might need to use tool tethering if you're working on a job or if you're um, bidding on a job. Are you necessarily um, going to uh, need to, to tether a tool? Are you going to be at height a lot? What kind of tools are you going to use? Start evaluating your jobs and seeing about you know, how you might employ tool tethering. You also want to start thinking about how your competitors and your peers are doing it. Um, it's a great way to, uh, as we say, rip off and duplicate. You know, they may have some great methods. You may be able to improve on them. But let's, you know, start looking around, seeing what people are doing and either enhancing it or following the same procedures. Um, but one really, uh, I think, probably key point is you want to start and be a, an early adopter. You don't want to wait until the day the re a regulation goes through because getting all your people and changing that culture is time-consuming. And so you want to start practicing that, that culture now before it does become a regulation because it is much harder to get people to move forward um, when the regulation's already there. You've, you've suddenly got to have to have them complying right away, and it takes time to get people to comply. At least that's been our experience. Another thing you can do is you can get involved. Um, contribute to the standards. All standards go through review processes over a couple of years. Um, we're going to be on that standard. TIFLOAT and Pure Safety Group has been very much involved with the standard committee. We've had several members going to every meeting. So, you know, by all means, uh, call us. If you think that we've missed something, tell us what it is. If you think that we've gone too far, let us know. You know, that feedback we take to the committee and we start working on making this standard better because ultimately this standard is for you. I mean, yes, we follow it as manufacturers, but it's ultimately to improve the uh, comfort that you have with our product. 
Another thing I would suggest is go to the ANSI web store, purchase a copy, download a copy of the standard itself. I've covered the, the kind of a, a overall of the standard, but there's, there's a whole lot more to it. So go on, read through it. It'll help you when you're writing a procedure if you haven't already. It'll give you some guidelines. It gives you definitions. Um, it'll just give you some, it gives you more information. And more information is always better when you're trying to institute a new program. Another thing you can do is start getting familiar with what's out there. So, you know, we encourage you download our full catalog off our website. We have a full catalog of already uh, rated ANSI 121 products. Um, TIEFLOAD itself has over 85 patents, so each company has certain products. Um, you know, find out what's out there. Think about what tools you have and what you might need. I know in our particular case, we have posters and uh, all sorts of things that show you how you can tether all these different types of tools. Um, go on, take a look. Another thing you can do is Talk to your TIE Float or Pure Safety Group representative. We have 40 representatives out there that are more than happy to come out and give you a presentation, talk to you about a standard, look at what tools you're working with, and help you determine what you might need when you start your tethering program. Because one thing I get a lot is people calling me saying, we have no idea how to tether this particular tool. And we're constantly working as a solutions provider on helping them figure out how to tether a, a difficult tool. So let us know ahead of time. Come and talk to us. Invite us to talk to you. We will be at the NSC, so by all means, come by, visit the booth. There's, our products will be there. We'll be open to talk to you. The people that were actually involved in the standard will be there to talk to you uh, if you have further questions. We're going to be at uh, booth 2111 or 2111. So come by, visit us. Give us an opportunity to talk more to you about this. So that's all I really have for a presentation now. I, I really want to thank you for joining us. I'm glad that the internet and my cell service held out. And uh, we're going to open it up to questions, so I'm going to give it back to Kevin. Excellent. Oh, we'll have Great a poll job, question. Too. Would you like to do that poll question now? Yeah, go ahead and have them do the poll question, and we can go over the poll results, and then you can take over. And we'll give you about 30 seconds for that. We'll give you another 10 or 15 seconds. If you want to answer that question, uh, poll question, please do. It's helpful for us to know some of this information so that we can find out where the industries are at. Okay, so as far as the results, it sounds as though um, at least half of you are already doing some sort of tool drop prevention. Um, many of you already have procedures in place and I'm encouraged that a good portion of you, at least a third, a little more than a third, are going to adopt ANSI-121 products. So that's great news. Um, on that, 
like I said, I'll turn it back to Kevin, and we are open to questions if you have any. All right, thank you, Virginia. Thanks for your insights and expertise. Uh, before we start with the Q&A, we just want to remind everyone um, we've got an evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. The survey should be appearing on your screen now. Your input is important to us because it will help us improve future webcams. If you do not see the uh, survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. You may also access the survey by clicking on the survey button. That's near the lower right part of your screen. That we will get to some questions. Um, first one, do I need to update my current tool tethers or are they still acceptable for use? Okay, that's a great question. Um, and actually one that we hear quite a bit. Uh, as I said, this is not a regulation. This is a standard. So there is no pressure on anyone to update their materials right away. Um, the reason we have it is so that you can feel better about what you're using. So, um, you know, should you move towards ANSI 121? Well, in my opinion, yes, because as I said, uh, they are, uh, OSHA is finding under the general duty clause, and now that there's a standard, there is something to point to as a general best practice. Um, but if you feel confident uh, with the supplier that you purchased those from, that they have tested their, those products properly, there's no rush to change them out anytime soon. I hope that answers the question. Next, what about tools with attachment points built in already? How are these covered by the standard? Okay, so another good question. Um, tools with attachment points on them are not uh, covered in the standard for obvious reasons. Um, you know, we're not, the, the people that were, were involved in writing this, we're not tool manufacturers. Um, so, you know, we can't determine how is the best way to rate, uh, best way to rate those. Um, I would expect that at some point tool manufacturers will get together and they'll write their own standards or they'll join ours and somehow it'll, it'll all meld together. But for now, they are not covered. Does the standard provide guidance for how much weight that can be safely attached to a person? No, the standard does not. Uh, that wouldn't be something that we would, we would address because we only address manufacturing and testing criteria. So, uh, and that's for the manufacturer's guideline. Um, as far as how much to attach to your body, general industries, uh, tool manufacturing companies, the general guideline seems to be five to six pounds to the body uh, for each individual tool. Uh, but that is not regulated. That's just a uh, kind of drops association and tool manufacturing uh, have done some testing and they feel that's probably the limit of what you want to have attached to your body. Um, when it comes to OSHA regulating, I would expect that that's something they'll address. And I have no reason to believe that they won't go by what an association or what the testing shows. All right. Um, does the standard require any specific safety disclaimers on products? Uh, it does require some disclaimers. Um, specifically, I, I can't think of what they are at the, off the top of my head, but there's, um, there's instructions for use. Um, I, I really can't think of what they are at the moment. 
um, not so much as disclaimers as uh, guidelines for use. So uh, it, if it says don't use with rotating equipment and then it gets ruined with uh, because someone used it with a piece of rotating equipment, that would be a disclaimer, I guess. Have any domestic or global manufacturers begun to implement safety measures? Safety measures, as, as in the ANSI standard, have they started to release ANSI 121 products? If that's the question, I'm not sure if that is the question, but if that is the question, then absolutely. We have a catalog of them. Uh, I believe we have some 50 products in all four categories, a uh, total of 50 in all, but covering all four categories at the moment. We expect to have over 100 fairly shortly. So, um, yes, the manufacturers have started to release ANSI 121 standard uh, compliant products. Can you clarify if general industry regulations require a tool tethering at height? General industry, uh, the general industry clauses or section of OSHA does not specifically require it, no. Um, it is not a regulated item. They uh, suggest taking best practices um, into consideration and to keep your to keep your workers safe. So basically, they say take all measures to prevent a dropped object from injuring one of your people. Uh, what that is, and as I said, the, it's not particularly focused on use a tool tether because obviously there was no standard that said this is a safe tether to use on a tool and it's been weight rated this way. So up until now, a rope and string was equivalent to a tested tether. That answer the question. Kevin? Yes, I'm sorry. Hello? Um, hello? Sorry. Um, no, the, the, oh, that's okay. This question asks, as the fall protection requirement requires a defined prior-to-use inspection, will the tethering device define specifics as well? Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question. Could you ask that again, please? It asks, as the fall protection requirement requires a defined prior-to-use inspection, that's, uh, uh, that phrase is in quotes, Will the tethering device define specifics as well? Uh, well, as I said in the presentation, there are there are some guidelines as you know how you should inspect it in the instructions. It says you know make sure you ins inspect this for you know wear and tear and things like that. Um, you know specifics of that. I you know I'd have to go back and and read what the specifics are. Um, and I'm happy to do that if this if this person wants to connect with me afterwards. But um, you know, we're kind of short on time now, and uh, I want to think about that answer before I just throw something out there. So if, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to have that person um, connect with me after this webinar, and maybe I can answer that question when I've had a chance to review exactly what it says in the, the standard. Because off the top of my head, I can't remember. Um, you know, the standard just was approved on July 2nd. So, uh, you know, there's still, it's still just starting to get out there. And uh, I, I don't always remember every single aspect of it. 
a pretty lengthy document. Okay. Um, well, no, as, as you indicate, um, unfortunately, we, we have run out of time. Um, sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions today, but all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded on to our speaker. Once again, hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen to give us your feedback. That ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Virginia Battles, everyone at Tide Float, and all of you who listened in. Thanks, and have a great day.